The winningest team in baseball also has the most saves, and people who save the most money are winners. So start earning saves by investing in worthy bonds for only $10 each. These bonds earn a fixed 7% APY, and there's no fees, penalties, or minimum balance required, and they can be redeemed whenever you like. You can even round up everyday purchases to buy additional bonds. Go to worthybonds.com backslash save. That's worthybonds.com backslash save and save and win. This is the Ben Burnett Show, the only show in America that features a one-term has-been retired politician that nobody knows on Extra 106. Welcome to the Ben Burnett Show. Thank you for making me a part of your day. Thanks for tuning into my show. Check the numbers at the end of every single month. I'm coming to you today from the Phase Common Studio in Alpharetta, Georgia. Grateful to them for letting me have access to it so that I can bring a weekend show to you. I also want to thank Charinga, Evans General Contractors, Petrie Government Relations, and First Horizon Bank. Everybody who makes this show possible. Can't do it without you. Well, we're coming out of the week of the 4th of July, and things are starting to get back to it. President Biden went to England earlier this week to meet with now King Charles. 40 years of calling the man Prince Charles will, will kind of do that to you. So as, as far as I know, I didn't know anybody besides the queen, but King Charles had a good meeting, state dinner. I have no idea what anybody talks about at those things, but I will tell you this before my time is up, I will be at a state dinner and I don't know which one it's going to be. I just hope it's for the good guys. And then he made his way to Lithuania for a NATO summit. Lithuania is in Eastern Europe. It was behind the Soviet bloc, behind the Berlin wall. And they wanted to talk about all things, but at the forefront of that was the war in Ukraine. I mean, to be honest with you, geopolitically, outside of Asia, that is the issue for a whole host of reasons. The Russians can't seem to find the footing. The Ukrainians continue to find arms from Western Europe, from other parts of the world. The United States, kind of the ringleader there. And the question came up about NATO membership. I want you guys to know a couple of things. NATO members, there are 31 of them. Two of them are the United States and Canada, and the rest of them are in Europe. Plenty of them have been around for ages and ages. Plenty of them have been NATO members since the founding. Great Britain, France, the United States, Canada, all the countries that we call on regularly. If we get in a conflict and we need some help, they're always there. And then it grows, a couple members a decade. In the course of the last 10 years, we've seen countries like Montenegro and North Macedonia join NATO. I am a NATO fan as a whole, but nothing that we do is entirely beyond criticism. If you read Article 5, that's what you hear referenced about all the time. It signifies that if one NATO member is attacked by someone who isn't a NATO member, all 31 countries are in what would essentially be a global conflict. Now, there are reasons. There is peace through strength. There is no question about that. But NATO has countries that clearly they change value systems over time. One of the core members of NATO is Turkey, who is clearly set at odds with the United States over a whole host of issues. They've played the card both ways. They like to be friendly with Syria and the Muslim countries because, candidly, they are one. Turkey was the free people after World War II when the Ottoman Empire essentially surrendered and they had to reinvent itself so that they could continue to exist. But if you look at the history of that, Turkey is one of the oldest countries, one of the oldest people groups with a written history for thousands of years. The Byzantine Empire, you learned about it in social studies, that's Turkey. The Ottoman Empire, 
which went all the way at certain points through the Crusades to Spain. If you go to, if you go to Spain today, you can still see what are churches that were converted from mosques and vice versa. It's a beautiful place. I will never take anything away from the history. The Grand Bazaar is the oldest continuously operating market in the world. It started trade before America was found by Christopher Columbus. It has been open that long. It's old. I said all that to tell you there's a lot of history there. Biblical times. When Paul went to go preach Christianity all over the world after he saw the light, after he saw the blinding light on the road to Damascus, and Paul set out to go tell the whole world about Jesus towards the end of his days, he wound up in Turkey. Ephesus is there. Book of the Bible. There's a lot of places that you can read about in historical documents that we read where you might not necessarily know that that's a country. That's a NATO member today. If you think about the, the places that have really, really long history, you can discover a lot of things. But you also should read those documents and know that, yeah, sure, you could take them from a spiritual perspective, but those are real places, and the real places still exist today. The one thing I want you to know is that NATO countries, by and large, have a similar value system. They may not start there. They ultimately end there. They deal in free trade. They deal in republics or democracies or parliamentarian governments, types of governments where people are involved. Turkey's put that in odds in a lot of ways. They tried to hold up Sweden's membership to NATO over their ties to anti-Muslim groups. You can be mad at me for saying this. I don't want a NATO member that has that value system, and we can't get rid of them. And while I am more than content to take the good with the bad and tell you that Turkey is a beautiful place, and if you ever get the chance to go look at it and visit the country, you absolutely should. The Romans put a ton of investment and infrastructure into it. It's a fascinating place. But that's not everything there is. If you look, the United States has over 2 million more active duty troops than the next closest military NATO ally. Who is Turkey? If the United States got in a global conflict with Turkey and Article 5 was invoked and it was essentially an attack on any of the 31 countries, Russia somehow invades North Macedonia and the United States finds itself in the Third World War. To me, that's not worth it. It's not worth I have two boys, one of whom I am positive came out of the womb and wanted to seek military service. If you ask me today what that guy is going to do, I don't know what he's ultimately going to do with his life. But James is in no uncertain terms going to sit on the front lines of the United States Marine Corps. It's the only thing he really wants to do. I don't even know if he's college bound. He wants to do it that bad. But as a parent, when you, when you step back and you think about the political ramifications of something like NATO, am I going to really be excited about, def about defending North Macedonia? Am I going to be excited about defending Montenegro with my own children? No. If you, if you ask me that, you, are people in Great Britain and France and Germany excited about sending their kids to defend places that really don't have any consequential bearing on the United States or France or Great Britain or Canada or any of them? It's a flawed strategy. Iceland is another NATO member. They don't even have a standing army. When they joined NATO, they said, sure, we're fine to come along, but we just want you to know that we're happy to be one of the 31 and you guys can protect us. We're not going to have a military. And if you want us based on our strategic reason, we're not ever going to have a military. Now, I don't know anybody out there who's thinking about defending Iceland, but that hardly seems equal. And to me, that's part of the functionality and the problem with NATO. 
When you look at Ukraine and its status as a aspiring NATO member, I don't say it all the time. Joe Biden, in no uncertain terms, said the Ukraine is nowhere near where they need to be from a pathway to becoming a NATO member. And they and, and he's right. He's right in the same way that Donald Trump would have been right, in the same way that Barack Obama would have been right, in the same way that George W. Bush would have been right, or his dad or Jimmy Carter, none of them. It's entirely too big. I am not the America first Republican that Donald Trump talks about. I say it all the time. But I am an America first Republican. I am in the sense that we have to put our strategic interests ahead of everybody else. And to me, if you admit the Ukraine as a NATO member, it is the red flag that Vladimir Putin is ultimately willing to die over. He's willing to use nuclear weapons. He believes that the Ukrainian people and some of the Eastern Soviet bloc countries from 10, 20, 30, 40 years ago, he, he really wants them too, if he's honest with you. You've seen Belarus align with them so that they could try to put something back together. And it's not very contiguous and it's not very powerful. But I don't care about the Ukraine. I don't want them to be invaded. I don't want them to be in a massive global conflict. I don't want people to die for no reason. People are people. You know, I talked about James. James is Chinese. That's the one thing that he, he taught me over anybody else. When I look at him, he's as big a pain in the butt as any of my two biological children. I really don't see him any differently. But I also know that there's a lineage and a history and an ethnicity that comes between the Ukrainians and the Russians. And they are important to the Russians because they identify plenty of them still continue to identify as Russia, as Russian people. And I think that that's something that we don't do a very good job of totally globally understanding. And while I'm fine to send $50 billion a year over there and you have seen an increased commitment from Western Europe to help defend. You see France in the last week. They're going to give the Ukrainians long-range cruise missiles, something the United States has really struggled to do. And President Macron is absolutely doing that to encourage the United States to do it. But not every action that everybody does carries the same weight and the same ramifications because it never does. When the United States makes a statement over our weaponry that we're going to give the Ukrainians, it doesn't feel the same way if the Germans do it. It doesn't feel the same way if people in North Montenegro do it because not everybody is the same in the same way that not every American can be president. There are limitations and there are things that certain people in certain countries have the power to do that the United States has, doesn't have the power to do. Conversely, the United States has a lot more money and a way bigger GDP. So if we wanted to send things that wouldn't draw the ire of the Russians beyond what we already do, it's a reasonable conversation to have. But I think when you look at it this way, it has the ability to make me sound like a bigot or a racist or whatever the words are that you want to use. There are no more than a handful or two of countries that I'm willing to send my two boys out into the battlefield to defend. France is one. Germany's one. Great Britain's one, Australia's one, Japan's one, South Korea's one. But the list isn't very big. The list of NATO countries is entirely too big because on some level, America first does have to matter. And when Donald Trump, who was wrong for a lot of things, held the European countries feet to the fire over spending 2% of GDP on defense spending, it was the right thing to do. In the same way that it was right for President Biden in a non-political move to say there is not a chance in hell that I am going to volunteer our army to go defend Ukraine. And they are not going to be, he said they weren't ready to be a, a 
a NATO member. The truth is, is that they will never be ready to be a NATO member. You can catch the Ben Burnett Show on Tuesdays and Thursdays. Tuesdays, I do long-form interviews. Thursdays, I do my thought in one take. This past week, we talked about NATO. This is Atlanta's all-conservative talk station, Extra 106.3. We will be right back. This is the Ben Burnett Show, the only show in America that features a one-term has-been retired politician that nobody knows. Welcome into the Ben Burnett Show. My guest is Bob Cheeley. Welcome in, buddy. Ben, it's always good to be with you. You have found yourself in a lawsuit with the Fulton Board of Elections in the last couple years, I guess since 2020, December of 2020. When you thought about, and I want to preface this, you are a guy who has donated money to Republicans, but you have donated money to Democrats. You have a very good relationship with Roy Barnes. You have a good relationship with a lot of people in that caucus. And I think that you have been made out to be some Trump loyalist ally, right wing, crazy Republican. And I wanted to put that on the record because as long as I have known you, you were a pragmatist who I would identify politically as business friendly. That's exactly true. (laughs) You own a business. I'm definitely business friendly and property rights. For those of you who don't know, Bob also is a real estate developer when he's in my free time in in his free time when he's, when he's not, when he's, when he's not working legal cases, he has more hours in the day than Nick Saban. And that's a lot. Bob, what got you interested in the 2020 election? Talk about the things that happened around that time and who came to you with questions regarding the Fulton County election? Well, first of all, uh, I love this country and I want to make sure that I can do all that I can to ensure that it's an equal and level playing field for every person so that they know when they go to the polls to vote, their vote is going to count and it's going to be handled with the highest degree of excellence, the, the vote tabulations and the counting. And I uh, did not support Joe Biden. I supported, I voted for uh, Donald Trump because I loved his policies. I saw that it was helping blue-collar America, and uh, those are the people that I care deeply about. They're the people I represent in my law practice. I knew that They were in a much better position than they had been in years past. I grew up a Democrat. Uh, My dad. So did a lot of people in the South. Yeah. My dad and mother were Democrats. My dad helped actively campaign to help Jimmy Carter get elected. And And there's people today, if Sam Nunn were 30 years younger and wanted to sit in the United States Senate in the state of Georgia, he would. Because that's the kind of guy he was. He liked poor kids. Zell Miller is the same way, and I know he eventually switched parties. Richard Shelby. There were a bunch of Southern Democrats that had conservative attributes to them, and they cared about the little people like we all do. Exactly. My dad's side of the family uh, is related to Richard B. Russell from Winder, Georgia. I grew up in Beaufort, Georgia, which is you know tw- 20 miles from Winder, and and I remember meeting Richard B. Russell. My dad and mother took me as a child to uh, D.C. and uh, came out and spoke to us. Uh, we met him in his office. And um, over, over time, I've, I've just found myself, particularly on one key issue, abortion, just think that it is a curse upon the soul of America. 
and I cannot bring myself to support Democrats' policies anymore because they put no guardrails on a woman's right to choose death for the, her baby. And I just can't, in good conscience, support a candidate that believes that way. When 30 years ago the Democrats were a different party with respect to that issue, there is no question. When, when you looked, let 2020, we'll just set the stage, if you don't know, Donald Trump was the president of the United States for four years and lost a presidential election in the eyes of the Electoral College, popular vote, any number of those things. What pulled at you initially to think that something was going on with Fulton County? As I was watching the election returns, you know, I stayed up till after midnight, and I saw, you know, Trump's votes go negative, and I was like, what? How can that happen? And so then, and I saw, you know, this huge spike for Biden. That really disturbed me that something like that could happen. I mean, that's inexplicable. There's no way you can explain that. I still haven't heard anybody explain it well. But then, you know, I was going about my business, and then I got a phone call from a friend of mine, a lawyer here in Atlanta area, who uh, was a Democrat, and he felt very strongly that something had happened too. He went to Washington on his own nickel to see if he could get to the bottom of it, what was going on. And so anyway, he gets up there, and I'm not going to give his name out. Anyway, he called me up, and he said that uh, he was talking to somebody there in the Trump campaign, and, and they had had a phone call from somebody in Georgia who had some information that he wanted to share about State Farm Arena and the, the vote that night. They wanted somebody in, you know, in Atlanta to contact this person and go meet with him and see what he had. Well, my friend asked me if I'd do it, and I said, yeah, I'll do it. So I called this guy up, and he lives in Metro Atlanta, and turns out he was with a, he installed the security system at State Farm Arena, the cameras and the computers and all that. He had heard on the news, as I did too, the, the morning after the election and the night of the election that they shut down the vote counting in Fulton County due to uh, a water main break. And they said they were going to resume the next morning. Well, they come to find out they didn't suspend the voting tabulation or counting at all. They kept going, and but they'd sent all the poll watchers home. home. So that was uh, the next red flag. We see Trump's numbers go negative. We see they say we're suspending the vote count for the night because of a water main break. Then I get this meeting set up with this individual. He shows me on his, lap, on his uh, laptop the video from, he had heard this thing about a water main break, and he said, that's not true. He said, we got cameras all over that building. There was no water main break. And he said, if, I, if there'd been a water main break, I would have gotten up in the middle of the night to go over there and check on it because all of my computers are down there in the belly of the building. And so uh, he said, you know, what there was, however, was a small toilet leak in the men's urinal above the floor where they were doing the, the votes uh, count. And it was leaking into the f space below at like 5.30 in the morning, 6 a.m. on the day that they were supposed to start, you know, November 3rd, the day they were beginning uh, to tabulate the votes. 
he showed me, you know, where the water had been cleaned up by the time the poll workers arrived. And then he showed me the video from later that night, 11 p.m. till after midnight. And I, it was at that time that I saw that, you know, they told everybody to leave. And then that's when they, the infamous video shows that they're pulling these big cases of ballots out from under the tables. I said, oh my God, what is, what are they doing there? And so that's how I got involved in this whole thing, was, was then contacted by Caroline Jeffords through a mutual friend. I did not know her. Uh, she's the plaintiff. She was one of the plaintiffs in the case, the civil case, that seeks to unseal the ballots and do an audit and visual inspection of the ballots to make sure that those documents that came out of those suitcases under the table are valid, were created and filled in by humans instead of by a machine. That's all. That's, that was the heart of the initial case, was transparency. That's all she's ever wanted was transparency, and that's all I've ever wanted was to hold our government accountable in Fulton County. I live in Fulton, and I wanted to hold Fulton County accountable to the people and not the other way around. The lion's share of your time, sweat equity, money, like nobody put you up to this. No, nobody put me up to it. I was driven by conscience, and I used the same dedication to a cause that I'd use when I'd take a case for a client, you know, that's been wrongfully uh, injured. Well, I, I, I say that for two reasons. I don't know that you've had the opportunity. When people write about you in the New York Times or the AJC or anything else, they don't typically... To me, it's like there's a narrative out there. And I want to be 100% honest with the, those of you who listen. Ben Burnett is not a unbelievable fan of 2020, the 2023 version of former President Donald Trump. But I am also it, under the same guise. If you spend your own money and you think that something is legitimately wrong with the way that Fulton County counted ballots... I do not believe in inherent unfairness. I, I do not believe that the machine is bigger than the little people. I don't, and I never will. And so I cannot like former President Trump for a million reasons. I can like you, absent of the fact that you do like President Trump for a million reasons that you do like him. And I set an elected office, and I don't trust Fulton County doing anything. All of those things, to me, in my mind, are completely fine to say but I think if something actually happened it deserves the opportunity to be heard from in a courtroom because I'm not married to the outcome I'm married to the right thing with 12 people who get the opportunity to hear it because if something happened those people should be held responsible because this is America and that's where my affinity for what you have done it begins and ends. I'm ideal. I'm an idealistic American. I will vote for somebody based on values, but if something is wrong in the process, I have a fundamental problem with that, and I always have. Did an elected office, did before that, have ever since. And so I'm not saying that I think you're right. I'm not. I'm saying the wagons have certainly circled in a way 
that is awfully suspicious. Talk to me about where that case is today. All right. Before I do that, let me tell you, kind of give you a little sense of how far back my sense of right and wrong goes. Um, when I was a president of my college fraternity in Athens, um, we always prided ourselves on excellence in everything we do. You know, scholarship, we were always number one. Athletics, we were always number one. Social, you know, uh, service to the community, we were number one. And I found out my last semester or last quarter of my senior year when I was about ready to turn the hand the baton on to the next president that our uh, uh, we had won the athletic trophy for the several years in a row again but we we only won it narrowly and it was because one of our guys that was in charge of a team and it was a bowling team of all things had we were playing the I was in Phi Gamma Delta and and we were in a bowling uh, championship with Sigma Chi's. Well, I found out that Sigma Chi's were a lot better bowlers than our guys were, but we won somehow. Then I found out that the way we won is because the captain of our team threw the match, uh, got uh, Sigma Chi's to throw the match um, so that we would win in exchange for uh, two kegs of beer uh, to be delivered to the Sigma Chi house. And... Um, and uh, I could have kept my mouth shut. and You know, we would have won the athletic trophy again for the ninth year in a row. But I just said, you know, I can't do that. That's not honest. And it's, you know, it's, we didn't win it fair and square. We, they would have won the bowling match. And so uh, I, uh, I told our chapter we were going to do the right thing and we were going to give the trophy back. And it blew, you know, the people away that award academic trophies and the and athletic trophies. And, but I hope that that served people in our fraternity well. You know, you got to do the right thing, even when nobody's watching. And so that's kind of the thing that my parents taught me. You always do the right thing, and even if it hurts yourself. And so that's what's driven me to get to the bottom of what went on in Fulton County in the 2020 election is is, you know, I've got grandchildren now, and uh, this uh, cheating, if there was, uh, and I believe there is strong evidence that there were a lot of improprieties uh, that we've uncovered, like multiple counting of the same votes, um, and uh, 17,000 votes that don't even have corresponding paper ballots scanned in to support them. I mean, where do those come from? Um, those are the kind of things I want to get to the bottom of. And if it's, if somebody deliberately did that, it needs to come to light so that it's not repeated uh, over and over into the future. And so that's how I really felt, you know, called and driven to get involved and get to the bottom of this. And even, uh, even if people don't like it, and I know a lot of people don't, but I know there are a lot of people that do. And they're praying for me and, and urging me to continue the fight. Talk about where the case is today. Well, the case is today uh, on, uh, I think it was May the, last Thursday, May the 11th, we got a great decision. After two years of battling Fulton County uh, from the Georgia Court of Appeals, 
in which the Court of Appeals, after direction from the Supreme Court of Georgia, which had reversed the Court of Appeals um, back in uh, December of 2022, in our Jeffords case, um, you know, at the trial court level, we lost. We got kicked out for lack of standing after the judge had said that we had proved a prima facie case of improprieties based on expert testimony that I put on the stand in May of 2021. But then three months later, the judge kicks us out of court and says we don't have standing. Um, and so we appealed that decision to the Court of Appeals and uh, agreed with the trial court that we don't have standing. So we appealed that decision to the Georgia Supreme Court called uh, Application for Writ of Certiorari. And, uh, and they, in December of 2022 is when the Supreme Court of Georgia reversed the Court of Appeals and the trial court and said, reconsider this case, your decision on standing in light of a case that the Supreme Court of Georgia had decided in October of 2022, which was a case against Newton County for removal of Confederate War memorials. And someone had sued saying that Newton County didn't have the power to do that. And uh, Supreme Court of Georgia, uh, after the considering the case, they, they reversed the Court of Appeals in that case, said they do have standing. Ordinary citizens do have standing to challenge functions of government that are improper. And so we uh, celebrated last Thursday when we got that decision finally that where the Court of Appeals had to you know, reverse its prior decision where they fell and we didn't have standing and then they found in a very short concise order that people, citizens of a county do have standing to sue their county government and to get transparency. And so that's a victory. That's a huge victory for all kind of cases, not just voting, but all kind of cases where people need to be able to question the, their government um, to make sure that, that the government stays in the lane, you know, and doesn't become too uh, powerful outside of the bounds of the Constitution. And so right now where we are is uh, we'll be going back to the trial court. Uh, we thought we were going to be going back to the same judge that we the case was heard initially from in Henry County, uh, Judge Brian Amaro. But then on Friday of last week, uh, May the 12th, Judge Amaro enters a single-line single-sentence order saying he was basically uh, excusing himself from the case and uh, that he was appointing or sending the case to Judge McBurney um, in the Fulton Superior Court. Well, Judge McBurney is the one that's kicked uh, David Perdue's case that I filed out. And in that opinion, he uh, or that order, he said that David Perdue's case, even though we attached to that lawsuit, we attached an affidavit from my forensic auditor, uh, who used to be with a, one of the major accounting firms. Um, of all the th several examples of, of the improprieties that he'd found uh, involving Fulton County in the 2020 election, even though we had that as an affidavit supporting specific facts attached to that complaint, Judge McMurray, uh, or McBurney, uh, just kicked the case out, saying that this was nothing but sour grapes of, on the part of David Perdue, even though we did have another young lady 
as a co-plaintiff with David Perdue. She was a Fulton County resident, and her identity had been stolen, and somebody else had voted in her name by an absentee ballot that she never requested. But in spite of that, Judge McBurney kicked the whole case out for both plaintiffs and uh, said that neither one of them you know, are entitled to a, a hearing in his court. And they, he specifically aimed at David Perdue, and he said David Perdue was uh, just suffering from sour grapes, and uh, he was not going to allow those sour grapes to be made into wine in his courtroom. <laughs> <laughs> well, so we're moving this week to recuse Ms. Judge McBurney. I was going to say sometimes it doesn't take a whole lot. I sat in elected offices who have been sued more times than most people. You don't always have to comment. Yeah, but, you know, he's obviously um, made no bones about where he stands on these kind of uh, lawsuits to get transparency from government. If, if, if I had to ask you, what, what is your hope in the next phase of this? What is, it, what it, what is a preferred outcome look like to one Bob Cheeley, knowing that these kinds of things can take years? We need to be able to see, based on everything we've learned in the last two years, we now know that we need to see not just the absentee ballots that were tabulated at State Farm Arena, but we need to see the early voting ballots, too, that were cast. Um, and, uh, and we need to see the same-day voting. Uh, so that's a total of 512,000 ballots and but Fulton County reported another 17,000 votes on top of that. So that's that's the big question: is where those extra 17,000 come from? Were they from early voting, same day voting, or absentee voting? And you know, it, it's just like jumping out there at you. It's screaming that something's awry here, and we need to figure out where this disparity came from because, you know, the whole uh, election was determined in Fulton County for the state of Georgia. Um, and, uh, you know, if Biden wins fair and square, then that's fine with me, even though I've voted for, his, for, for Trump. But I just think that, you know, it, it needs to be done properly and legally. I've, I've said it before, I will say it again. I voted for Donald Trump in a primary in 2016. I voted for him in 2020. At this point, I'm one of the people who is well-documented in being willing to move on, but being willing to move on and wanting somebody different to be the messenger on behalf of the GOP and what you were seeking to investigate is not the same thing. They may be the same thing for an isolated incident. I do not believe in inherent unfairness. This has been another episode of The Ben Burnett Show. This is The Ben Burnett Show on Extra 106.3. Welcome back to The Ben Burnett Show, the weekend edition. If you missed any of the earlier parts of the radio show, you can go back and listen to it on the podcast, The Ben Burnett Show. Apple, iTunes, Spotify, Google Play. I'm sure there's a thousand other ways to do it. You can also get it at the podcast park on the Extra 1063 website. I'd be remiss if I didn't say that. The final thing I want to get to today is 
The politics inside the politics inside the politics. Senator Tommy Tuberville is holding up military appointments. Now, I'm not going to say that Senator Tuberville doesn't like the military. He serves the great state of Alabama. He took what was once the Jeff Sessions seat after a appointment had existed. He won a general election. Senator Tuberville has been at no odds to controversy. But Senator Tuberville is also not dumb. Over the course of the last two weeks, his name has appeared twice because the left hates him for all the things that we love in the South. He was the college football coach. He's not the Ivy League educated guy. I mean, in fairness to the left's hatred of him, put his team in harm's way every once in a while and run fake punts out of his own end zone. He had a good run at Auburn. He's kind of, he was a quirky guy, Lane Kiffin-esque before Lane Kiffin went to, got fired from USC and Alabama and went to Florida Atlantic and now is at Ole Miss. Tuberville is always a guy who's had a personality and that shows in the United States Senate. That's also something that people in politics don't often like. For all the things that Mitch McConnell is from a personality standpoint, Richard Shelby was from a personality standpoint, Senator Tuberville has no fear whatsoever. He's not afraid of the press. He's in a really safe seat. There is a 0% chance that Senator Tuberville is getting voted out of office until he wants to actually leave the United States Senate. But he has found himself in the news two times. One was finally saying that white nationalists were racist. That's not really the one that I want to get to. He's at odds with Secretary of Defense Lloyd Austin and the Biden administration because it has been procedural over the last several decades that political appointees like the Commandant of the Marine Corps or the Secretary of the Air Force are approved by unanimous consent which means that nobody has a problem with it. The votes are 97, 98, 99, or 100 to nothing. That's how the vast majority of the political appointees for the military have their office instilled. But Senator Tuberville took the unanimous consent process in the United States Senate, and he threw a giant wrench in the plans. He objected, meaning that all the military appointees would have to go through a confirmation hearing and process, which makes it really, really slow, painfully slow. By the end of the year, there will be over 250 political military appointees that do not have the permanent status. At a certain point, you've seen General Mark Milley has served in the United States Marine Corps, is going to be forced to retire. He's the commander of the Joint Chiefs. You've seen the commandant of the Marine Corps retire, and now they have an acting commandant who really not, there's not a lot that changes. And Senator Tuberville has said that until the federal government changes its stance on abortion for military members, he's not going to use, utilize the unanimous consent process. Chuck Schumer clearly doesn't like that. There's a lot of people that don't like that. But let me tell you what the real story actually is. Do I think that Senator Tuberville is pro-life? Yes, 100 percent. He's from Alabama. He can afford to say no, no abortions ever, no exceptions. That's not really what the issue is. Senator Tuberville knows that the recently retired Senator Richard Shelby, when the Space Force was designed and created, its 
its headquarters was going to be at Redstone Arsenal in Huntsville, Alabama. And when Senator Shelby, who was longtime Senate Appropriations Chairman or Vice Chairman of the Democrats were in power, said something, everybody went along with it. He played all the political games and he would headhunt you until the cows came home. If you ever went after the state of Alabama, he was notorious. You can listen to people on my show over time. Joan Carr, who was the chief of staff for Johnny Isaacson, would talk about it. David Perdue's talked about what a pro Richard Shelby was. And there are others. He was a guy who commanded a ton of respect in the United States Senate. I've said it over all time. He is probably in my lifetime my favorite person who was a member of the United States Senate. So much of how I governed with budgetary processes and appropriated projects, I, I took from him. I've got the opportunity to know him when when he set when he set in the United States Senate. I know a lot of people who have worked on his staff over time. I have an immense amount of respect for the way the guy looked after his state and his constituents. And there will probably then there will never be anyone who is like him. That being said, Red Star Arsenal is about to lose the Space Force headquarters to Colorado Springs, Colorado. And Senator Tuberville has an immense problem with that for one reason. It is tens of thousands of jobs to the state of Alabama. Senator Tuberville has spent a lot of time using unanimous consent to approve military members to their appointed positions. He has. Everybody does. So what changed? Absolutely nothing. But when you go online and you read about Senator Tuberville's holding up hundreds of confirmations, there's a reason. And none of it is written. That, to me, is what's so incredible. Senator Secretary Tom Price said on the podcast a couple of months ago that the press does a terrible job at one of its core jobs, and that is reporting the actual news. So I am telling you, when you read online that Senator Tuberville is evil because he wants to repeal the abortion status, that's not the fight that Senator Tuberville is having at all. He wants to make it slow and painful for the Democrats. And Chuck Schumer said last week that he could use a cloture vote to get to 60. The only problem is, is that he can't do it without the two senators from the state of Alabama. And apparently they have enough allies to keep all of these appointees from reaching permanent status. That is everything that is absolutely beautiful about politics and everything that is inherently wrong with it. Sometimes you got to count to 50. Sometimes you got to count to 51. Sometimes you got to count to 60 so that you can clear it and then, and then have the partisan vote to approve all of these military confirmations. But make no mistake, nothing about what is going on is about abortion with respect to Senator Tuberville. Regardless of what you read, it is about jobs. It is about the economy for his state. And good for him for standing up for the people of Alabama. I hope Senator Ossoff, I hope Senator Warnock, and I hope all the people who sit there and represent the state of Georgia take a good, long look at how you look after the people who work for you. And while they're screaming and yelling, those guys aren't any different. And yes, I do hope in two years or six years we get to replace those people with conservative candidates. But until the time comes, you got to deal with the things that you have. The Ben Burnett Show can be found on Tuesdays and Thursdays. Tuesdays, I do long-form interviews. This Tuesday, I have Jaron Solomon. You've heard him. Solomon Brothers, longtime sponsor of 680 Extra 1063. He's now the official jeweler of the Atlanta Braves. We have a fantastic conversation about the diamond business and how dirty it is. 
and how globally polluted the industry is and how they navigate that, it is fascinating. There's nothing about it. I, always, I say all the time, you can't take the politics out of anything. Buying diamonds and owning and operating a store as a wholesaler is no different, and it is truly fantastic. You can listen to Tug Rhino and Carlos Medina from 6 to 10, Monday through Friday. You can listen to Clay Travis and Buck Sexton from noon to 3. You can catch all my content at the podcast park. Go download and subscribe. If you're on Apple iTunes, hit the three periods at the top right and hit like and subscribe. Leave me a review. I appreciate all of you guys. It's been another episode of The Ben Burnett Show. I will see you guys next week. The winningest team in baseball also has the most saves, and people who save the most money are winners. So start earning saves by investing in worthy bonds for only $10 each. These bonds earn a fixed 7% APY, and there's no fees, penalties, or minimum balance required, and they can be redeemed whenever you like. You can even round up everyday purchases to buy additional bonds. Go to worthybonds.com backslash save. That's worthybonds.com backslash save, and save and win. When you buy a used car, don't be taken for a ride. Get Ford Blue Advantage certified at Wade Ford, Atlanta's headquarters for factory certified pre-owned vehicles. Go to wadeford.com. There you'll find a great selection of Ford Blue Advantage certified used cars, trucks, and SUVs with Blue certified. Nearly all makes and all models are in stock now. You'll find something perfect for just about any budget. Buy with confidence at the Wade Ford factory certified used car outlet at wadeford.com. Wade Ford, we are Atlanta's Ford dealer. Tonight in Arkansas, there's a mother tucking in her daughter and turning off the light. A business owner is burning the midnight oil. An at-home dinner date is plating up possibility. And it's all happening under one roof. How? The power of a conversation. Like the one John from Integrity Solutions had with First Horizon Bank about his vision for a sustainable mixed-use building. Now it's not just words, it's life. First Horizon Bank, let's find a way. Go to firsthorizon.com slash John. First Horizon Bank, member FDIC.